Hello and welcome to The Bunker. I'm Ros Taylor. If I asked you which was the least corrupt country in the world, you probably wouldn't say it was Britain. And you'd be right. The UK currently languishes at number 11 in Transparency International's index. Heading up the table are Finland, New Zealand and Denmark. And it's Denmark that we're going to talk about today, because joining me is Gert Tingard Svensson, who's a public policy professor at Aarhus University. Welcome to the bunker, Gert. Thank you. Gert's joining me over the phone due to some tech difficulties, so apologies that the sound may be a bit less good than usual. So among a certain sort of left-centrist Britain, there's a certain fascination with Danish politics. Probably it comes from Borgen, the series about the fictional female PM, Birgitta Nyborg. We were chatting about this briefly the other week, and you said Danes don't actually watch the series much, do they? Well, they do, but the things we're good at uh, in Denmark, we don't talk too much about it because you shouldn't think that you're too good. We have this uh, so-called Yende law, which is a predominant norm for you shouldn't think that you are better than everybody else. And how does that work, the Yendel law? It works out uh, as social control, you might say. So uh, people will be very much aware of what other people are doing. And if they're behaving in a good manner, then you get kind of social rewards. You get a smile and a handshake. And uh, But if you don't behave right, the social sanctioning is quite tough, actually, And you'll be told that this is not good and uh, you cannot do this and you have to behave in another way. And social control in both the positive and the negative sense is extremely strong. So Danes are quite upfront when they're unhappy about the way someone is behaving. Yeah. That's very unlike Britain. Well, I mean, in Denmark, if you, if you, I mean, the first thing my foreign students tell me here is that uh, you have to be very careful that you don't come up with a lie here. I mean, you have to be very, very cautious because your reputation will be damaged severely. When you know the rules of the game, well, then it's uh, very nice and uh, things are working out very well and it's easy to cooperate. I mean, that's the foundation of the cooperation in the whole society. These norms that you should not cheat and you should be honest. And that means that Transaction costs are very low. All the costs linked to making a deal or a transaction, and it makes life very easy. And you trace the origins of this kind of behaviour back quite a long way, don't you? Yeah, and actually, uh, they say this is the Nobel Prize question we're now going to (laughs) to discuss, and uh, it's an ambitious effort, of course, to try to historically understand what happened in Denmark. But I think the two main things happened. And the first major thing was that we were forced to fight corruption early on in Danish history. So there was a lot of rivalry in Scandinavia. And in the 1650s, uh, we lost uh, to the Swedes. And Sweden then conquered a large number of territories from Denmark. And it meant that Denmark no longer controlled all the sailing routes uh, into the Baltic Sea. And um, also, Sweden was a direct uh, military threat. And uh, what the Danish king had to do then was to collect more money to be able to conquer back, especially the southern part of Sweden. And the problem was at that time that uh, the nobility in Denmark, they got all the big jobs, uh, they collected all the taxpayers' money and were very dominant. 
but they were very bad at their job and they kept the money for themselves. So it mean, meant that very few money ended up in the, in the public state finances. And what Frederick III started doing was then to get rid of the nobility and start employing people who were very good at their job, kind of meritocratic system. And in this way, and he introduced very strong sanctions for being corrupt. And also you could uh, write directly to the king anonymously for something wrong in your local area. It was a local bureaucrat who was uh, uh, corrupt uh, in some way. Then you could tell the king directly. Also, the king would have a, a team, an anti-corruption team traveling around in Denmark. You can also go to this team when they pass by and tell them there's something uh, going on here and you should perhaps check this and that out. And um, that meant that corruption was efficiently reduced. Uh, and the second main issue could be that of uh, meeting places. There's a saying going that uh, if two Danes meet, they shake hands. If three Danes meet, they form an association. And uh, that's just how it is. So most people in general would be involved in some kind of voluntary work. And the thing is that when you meet regularly, actually you're trained by the others if you don't behave right. That's interesting because in Britain, what would happen is that you would never mention it again, but you would just quietly seethe. Gosh. So what what happens to, say, a politician in Denmark who has been discovered to have been, say, taking bribes or dodgy procurement issues? What happens then? I mean, in Britain, it doesn't really seem to lead to much action and other people tend to close ranks and there's an immensely long inquiry and then often very little happens. Perhaps there's a brief suspension from Parliament, but that's all. What happens in Denmark? Well, in Denmark, you'll be uh, you'll be punished, and we're lucky so far because we have had very very few cases. It's very rare that we have a severe corruption problem among politicians. Uh, we had one uh, some years ago, uh, the so-called Farum case, where a politician called Peter Brexthoft uh, was discovered that he was uh, doing corruption in different ways, and he was uh, imprisoned for two years. Uh, but it's actually very rare, and and the social control again is very very strong. So it means that if you're doing just the slightest attempt to to be corrupt, it will typically be discovered, and you'll be notified immediately by other politicians. They'll be very much aware of this that this is a problem, uh, because if you're caught being corrupt, then you'll lose a lot of votes next time. You'll probably be out of business in politics in Denmark. It's, and it's again, it stems back to this old tradition dating back to 1660. We've been in this path ever since. So there's a lot of path dependency here. Oh, I was going to ask you if um, one of the reasons why this works is because the media in Denmark is especially vigilant. But what you're saying almost suggests that you don't need the media to be as vigilant as it could be. You you need the media too, because uh, there'll be the watchdog you might say. And, and I mean, that's also something that disciplined politicians and bureaucrats even further. They know that it's wrong to be corrupt, but they also know that if the media, if they get to know about this, well, then you're in real, real trouble because they'll start investigating what happened. And that makes it even worse. So, so you might say the whole logic in Denmark, the reason why people in general are not corrupt is that the costs of being corrupt are higher 
than the benefits. So this cost-benefit analysis typically leads to the rational choice of not being corrupt. It simply doesn't pay. There's a massive upside to this. Obviously, it seems it's a high-trust society. But is there a downside to the way that Denmark operates as well? Yeah, all the evidence suggests that this trust is actually derived from the absence of corruption. Because trust is all about predictability. So when you have corruption, it's very hard to predict what happens in society because you have no longer the rule of law. And people might do uh, silly things might do illegal things and might not be punished. And you cannot predict, for example, what happens in a court if somebody cheats you and uh, you're in a court and then the cheater might win the, the case because this person bribed the judge and the police and so on. And all this unpredictability and lack of fairness in society means life becomes very in, uh, unpredictable. And that's the worst thing that can happen to trust. But again, if you're cheated, or if a politician is corrupt, then the social control is there immediately and you will try to punish this person socially, ostracize this person somehow socially uh, in the next uh, encounter. So there's no way back? There's no way back. It's, It's very hard to get back and you really have to do something extraordinary to compensate and convince people that this was a big mistake and you have to apologize and uh, admit that it was very, very bad and uh, you know what's right now. So even Denmark isn't quite perfect. You get 90 out of 100 on the Transparency International ranking. Are there areas where you where the country does fall down? Yeah, so, um, and I guess it's, it would be impossible to achieve the maximum score of 100. So you might say 90 is, is very, around 90 is extremely high. But uh, there will always be some people in a society, in any society, that will not cooperate or will try to cheat. Uh, and you might call these people free riders. Uh, you use this word uh, regularly in English language as well, I guess. And, yes. And, 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 you know, free riders will always be there. And you might say that they, they actually force the rest of the population to stay fit, <laughs> you know. You have to stay fit to cope with the free riders and limit the numbers of free riders that might be corrupt or might cheat in different aspects. So when you have a high level of trust, you don't need to control people as much as if the trust level is low and corruption is high. People can do things on their own and create a lot of win-win situations in society when they cooperate. So that means you save a lot of costs and a lot of trouble. You don't need a third party in the state intervention all the time to regulate people and tell them what to do. You know, Lenin once said that trust is good, but control is better. And I rewrote these sayings uh, without comparison. I rewrote it to control is good, but trust is cheaper. And a good example of that would be the the corona, the COVID-19 crisis, uh, where Denmark actually also got through it uh, quite easily compared to many other countries because the government and the the experts would say that it's good to get a vaccination, it's good to wear a mask. uh, And when they said that, well, people trusted that uh, they told us to do it because that would be good for overall society. And most people just did it and you didn't have to force people. And that saves a lot of time and a lot of resources. 
you didn't have to pass laws and take people to court and find them and all the things that we've done in Britain. Exactly. It's always interesting to get an outsider's perspective on British politics because you get so caught up sometimes in what is happening here that it's it's overwhelming. I could point to numerous examples of corruption in British politics in the last few years, but where do you think that we are failing most badly? Oh, well, um, I think that you have to be aware of the fact that corruption is the world's enemy, number one. So the reason why many countries are poor is basically because they're corrupt. They have a small corrupt elite on top of society and they redistribute resources to themselves. They receive bribes or other kinds of favors and you get a small elite and that's very, very harmful for society. The rest of the society will become poor, very poor. And that's not the case in, in the Western world. I mean, this is, this is the worst case scenario. Um, but it's very important that that you are aware of the cost of corruption. It's the worst thing that can happen to society. So you really have to keep it down at any cost. And to do that efficiently, a first main thing, and that's also what I talked about in the Danish history, is that you have something, you have a place to go to. So if you discover that here we have a problem, it's very hard to be a whistleblower. So, so you need to be kind of anonymous and you need a place to go to talk about some kind of problem. And it's very crucial that you're not punished for uh, making other people aware of irregularities. You should at least be rewarded if that's the case, but uh, at least you should be anonymous and should be able to tell some kind of institution that will be independent from the government, from the bureaucracy, uh, in Denmark, we have an institution called uh, the Ombudsman, and that's that's a place where you can go actually if you have complaints about public administration or whatever. But this uh, neutral institution would be relevant, just like uh, the Danish king I talked about, Frederick III. Uh, you could write directly to him, or you could talk to his travel team, and uh, things like that would perhaps be helpful, but it's, I think the educational issue is crucial that people are taught and so they understand that it's to our overall interest and uh, we benefit all from this in the long run if we uh, reduce corruption and also when we're using corruption, we will also build more trust in society, which makes it easier to cooperate both in ordinary life, but also in politics and business and all over. Good. Thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. We'd be delighted if you wanted to support us to keep making podcasts at The Bunker. Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out how. The Bunker was presented by Roz Taylor. Lead producer is Jacob Jarvis, group editor Andrew Harrison. Audio production by me, Robin Lieburn. And the theme tune is by Kenny Dickens. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.